I'm going to, uh, we're going to continue this morning with a series that we started a few weeks ago on Jesus, our high priest. And I'm going to invite you to turn to a couple of openings, uh, Scripture 3, as a matter of fact. Hebrews chapter 2, Psalm 145, and Isaiah chapter 30. Hebrews chapter 2, Psalms 145, and Isaiah chapter 30. We want to start in uh, Hebrews because Hebrews identifies some things that belong to us now and and some uh, conditions that exist regarding Jesus. You know, it's it's an interesting thing because most of the time when people think of Jesus, they think of Jesus either in the manger, you know, the Christmas story, or they think of Jesus here on the earth when he was ministering in his earthly ministry, or they think of Jesus on the cross. But very rarely do people think about Jesus in his position and in operating in his ministry, his present-day ministry as our high priest. Now, those other things are good. It's good to remember. It's good to recognize. It's good to keep our eyes uh, focused from time to time on those things because they, they give us information. They reveal things to us about our Heavenly Father. But the Bible says that Jesus has a very important ongoing ministry now <clears throat> seated at the right hand of God, and that ministry is as our high priest. So Hebrews chapter 2, I'm going to start reading in verse, uh, well, I guess we better start reading in verse 14 to get the import of what's being said here. It says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also, speaking of Jesus himself, likewise took part of the same, same flesh and blood, that through death, I want you to notice something, coming to the earth in a flesh and blood body, enabled him to do what the Bible is going to say next. You remember in the Bible, uh, in 1 John, uh, John speaks of uh, those that, uh, uh, the spirit of Antichrist that uh, uh, denies that Jesus came in the flesh. This is why. Because it was only by Jesus coming to the earth as a man that enabled him through that flesh and blood to destroy the works of the devil. He says it this way, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Folks, that, was not, that would not have been possible had, not, had Jesus not been here in the flesh and bone body. Flesh and blood body, I should say. Verse 15, here's the result of that. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You know, that, there's so much more there. I, I really don't want to take time to, to talk about it this morning, but I, uh, uh, but I do want you to see something. I want you to notice that the reason people are subject to bondage is because of fear of death. The reason, some, the reason people are subject to bondage, subject to any bondage of the devil, is because of this fear of death. That's a part of the curse that came upon the world when Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden. You remember Jesus, uh, or, or the Lord said to, um, to Adam, He said, You can eat of every tree of the garden except one, for in the day that you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. King James says, In the day that you eat, you shall surely die. Literally from the Hebrew, it says, Dying thou shalt die. In other words, death shall begin to overtake you. Well, we know instantly their spirits were separated from God. That's the definition of spiritual death. So spiritual death took a hold of them instantly from their spirit's position or, or, you know, from the context of a spiritual standpoint. But then from that point forward, that fear of death, that consciousness of death is what keeps man in bondage. Without taking a lot of time to reverse that consciousness, to be conscious of the life, that's available to us in Christ Jesus will break that bondage. That's why the Bible says the anointing breaks the yoke because the anointing is the consciousness of life, freedom, deliverance, healing, whatever that belongs to us through the work of Jesus. So again, verse 15, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he, Jesus, took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, because of these things, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. He willingly did this. He understood the purpose. He understood the need. And he willingly did this, that or so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. Jesus' present day ministry is as your high priest. Are you utilizing that high priestly ministry? Most people don't even know that it's there. So how could you utilize, how could you operate according to it? Some people are operating according to it and they don't know that's what it is. 
But it says that Jesus did these things that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Now, people see that and they think, okay, mercy of God, forgiveness of sins. Right there. Mercy of God, forgiveness of sins. That's all there is to it. That's not what it means. It means reconciliation for the sins of the people means redemption, meaning everything that Jesus paid the price for us to have. He's not just talking about to forgive your sins. He's a merciful and faithful high priest to forgive your sins. No, he's saying he's a merciful and faithful high priest to minister unto God on your behalf because he has wiped out sin and all the things pertaining to sin. Now turn back with me to Psalm 145. Psalm 145, we looked at some of these verses. Uh, we may have looked at all these verses before in this series, but um, I just want to look at them again. I don't think we got them the first time we looked at them. We may not get them the second time we look at them. Psalm 145, beginning in verse 8, it says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Now, what does it mean when you're full of something? It means there's no room for anything else. The word gracious means disposed to show favors. Now, we've pointed this out before, but I think it bears repetition. In both the Hebrew and the Greek language, Hebrew for Old Testament, Greek for the New Testament, the words mercy and compassion are exactly the same words. The word, the Hebrew word for mercy is the same as the Hebrew word for compassion. The Greek word for mercy is the same Greek word for compassion. You can take any time where the Bible speaks of mercy and you can insert compassion in there and they're one and the same words. They're exactly, uh, they would be appropriate to be translated either way. In the same way, merciful is the same uh, word for mercy. It's just a different tense or just a, uh, an adjective for the word mercy. Same thing for compassionate. Merciful and compassionate are exactly the same adjectives. Hebrew and Greek, both are the same. Now, the word gracious means disposed to show favor. So many times people have the idea of God. I grew up with this idea where God is sitting up in heaven. He's got this long beard and flowing white robes, and he's got this hammer in his hand, this big judge's mallet type thing, gavel type thing, and he's just waiting for you to do the wrong thing so he can smack you. And I don't know exactly where I got it. I, I, I don't remember the first time I heard it. I don't remember the first impression I got along this line. But I was always conscious growing up in the church, Baptist church, Southern Baptist church, I was always conscious that God was a God of judgment. Nobody ever told me God was a God of mercy. Maybe they took it for granted. Maybe they just assumed that I would know that since I was saved. I don't know. But the picture that I had of God was that He was waiting to get you. God's not waiting to get you. God's disposed to show favors. This is kind of a bad way to, to, to compare it, but we might say it this way. If a person's natural inclination is to do something, some people's natural inclination is to look on the bright side of things. They're optimistic. Their natural op uh, inclination is to be optimistic. In other words, they're disposed to be optimistic. Some people's natural tendency or their natural inclination is to be pessimistic. They're disposed to pessimism. God's disposed to show favors. That's what that means. God's disposed to show favors. God's disposed. His natural inclination is to do good stuff for you. Folks, I've got to tell you, if we, just, if we went nowhere else this morning and just stopped there and stayed there and convinced you of that, that would change your life. God is disposed to show favors. That's what it means. The Lord is gracious. He's disposed to show favors and full of compassion. Now, the word compassion or the word mercy, either way in the Hebrew, and same meaning in the New Testament Greek, the word for mercy or compassion literally means this. It means to love tenderly, to pity, and to have eager yearning for. The Lord is full of compassion. He's full of tender love for you. Well, I don't see much judgment in that, do you? Now, don't get me wrong. God is a God of judgment. He will judge the world, but He won't judge you. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, doesn't the Bible say, judge yourself lest you be not judged? Yeah. So judge yourself. Yeah, but doesn't that mean God's just waiting for, to, for His opportunity to judge you? No, He's giving you the opportunity to take care of it beforehand. John said it this way. He said, some men's sins go before the hand. Other men's sins follow after. Well, whose sins go before? The ones that confess them. Whose sins follow after? The ones that hang on until the time comes where God has to deal with them and say, why didn't you do this? Or why did you do that? Yeah, but, but what about the great white throne judgment of God? 
That's not for the church. I hate to bust your religious bubble. But there is no great white throne judgment for the church. The great white throne judgment is after the church is standing behind the throne with God having the party where God judges the world, both great and small. I love that verse of Scripture. People that think they're great in the world. (laughs) That's for the world. That's for those that reject Jesus. That's not for the church. That's not for you. Yeah, but doesn't the Bible say judgment begins at the house of God? Yeah, that's why God gave us 1 John 1, 9. If you miss it, if you make a mistake, if you commit a sin, then ask God to forgive you for that sin and it's cleared up. It's done. Well, why would God say that judgment begins at the house of God? Because He doesn't want you to walk in sin. I know this is deep theological stuff. But it's just that simple, folks. See, you've got to twist scriptures. You've got to have the devil's help to, to twist scriptures to come up with God being mad at you, God being against you, God waiting for his chance to get you. I, I should qualify that. The Bible really does say God's waiting for his chance to get you, but his getting you is with good stuff. It says the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the earth, looking for somebody that can show himself strong on their behalf. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Let's keep reading here. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger. (laughs) Thank God for that part. Slow to anger and of great mercy. Look up the word great and see what that means. That means bigger than you can think. It means exceeding. It means more than what you think would be appropriate or enough. And is of great mercy. The Lord is good to a few. The Lord is good to all. Folks, the Bible says the goodness of God leads to repentance. It's not the judgment of God that leads to repentance. It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. The Lord is good to all and His tender mercies. Here's all I want you to see on this one. His tender mercies are over all of His works. What does that mean? That means everything that Jesus ever did to reveal the Father to us was because of the mercy of God. That means it was never because somebody deserved it. It was never because somebody earned it. It was because God's mercy was extended toward man. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, I've just missed it in so many places. Folks, that's the point. You could never take anybody as perfect as they were outside of Jesus himself. You could never take any human being and find, uh, not find, that there would at least be one thing that could be held against them. In other words, God has at least one excuse for every person that's ever lived on the face of the earth to not be good to, and he never took his chance. And he never does. His tender mercies are over all of his works. Think about what that means. Think of all the healings that Jesus performed. His tender mercies are over all of his works. Think of the miracles, the deliverances. Think of all the good stuff that Jesus did. His tender mercies are over all of His works. They were all because of God's mercy. The Lord is good to all. Slow to anger. Thank God He is. A great mercy. The Lord is good to all and His tender mercies are over all of His works. Turn back with me to Isaiah chapter 30. Yeah, Pastor Mike, but that's Old Testament stuff. You know, I'm just convinced that a lot of people wish they lived into the Old Testament. Because they always use that for an excuse. Okay, all right, you're right. That's Old Testament stuff. That's David, and you know David, he just had everything going for him. He never missed it. He never made a mistake. You know, David, he just had that charmed life. No, David saw the mercy of God probably as much as or more than anybody else we have record of in the Bible. He messed up on every hand, and God's always being good to him. Why? Because he's quick to repent. Quick to repent. Yeah, but how does that apply to us? Well, okay, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. And therefore, this is speaking of the day that we live in, and therefore will the Lord wait that He may be gracious unto you. That's the same thing we just read in Psalm 145, verse 8. God is gracious, disposed to show favors. The Lord will wait that He may be gracious unto you. And therefore will He, speaking of Jesus, be exalted. Now, how was Jesus exalted? The Bible says that Jesus was exalted when He was raised to sit on the right hand of God the Father. The Bible does not speak of exaltation or Jesus being exalted when he was here on the earth. 
It does not speak of Jesus being exalted when he went to the cross. It does not even speak of Jesus being exalted when he was raised from the dead. The Bible says Jesus was exalted and given a name above every name when he was seated at the right hand of God the Father. In other words, when he sat down to take hold of and to begin in his high priestly ministry, that's when he was exalted. Now, why does Isaiah 30 verse 18 say that he was exalted? What purpose was he exalted for? Well, we think of he was exalted to, to forgive sins. Okay, that's fine. That's great. But notice it says, and therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Yeah, Pastor Mike, I thought you just said that God's not a God of judgment. He's not for the church. But he is for those that don't know him as their heavenly father. Blessed are they that wait for him. Now turn with me over to Mark chapter 1. We want to look, take a little bit more time this morning to, to run over some, uh, some things that, and I, as I said, we've talked about some of these things before. We've looked at them, kind of hit the high spots on some of it, but I want you to see it a little bit more in detail this morning because I want you to be convinced that God is a God of mercy. I want you to be convinced that the mercy of the Lord is available for you. Because whatever situation you're in, whatever hard place you're in, the mercy of God is the fix for it. Mark chapter 1, let's start reading in verse 40. It says, And there came a leper to Jesus, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Please notice his attitude. He says, I know you can, I just don't know if you will. I would submit to you that that is the, the general attitude of the, the majority of the church population today. You won't find, in my opinion, you won't find many, if, if any at all, Christians that say God can't heal. And one of the scriptures that everybody seems to know is that all things are possible with God. That's fine, that's good, I'm glad people know that. But the reality is, and we see it here in the life of this individual, knowing that God can, knowing that God is able is not enough to get you the answer you need. And he knows what the difference is. He knows. I know. I believe he can. I just don't know if you will. And Jesus, notice how Jesus, who is the representative of God, Jesus' whole purpose here coming to the earth was to reveal the Father to us. Notice God's attitude to those that don't know if he will be good to them. I'll say that again. Notice God's attitude. God who never changes. Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. God said of himself, I am God, I change not. That should settle the issue. Notice God who never changes, Jesus who never changes. Notice God's attitude toward those who don't know if it's God's will to be good to them, specifically in this case, to heal. Folks, if I had a dollar for every person that came to me just since we've started the church 26 years ago, if I had a dollar for everybody that came to me and said, Pastor Mike, I'm just not convinced that it's the will of God for me to be healed. That's what they're saying. I don't know if God will heal me. I would be so rich, we'd never have to take another offering ever again. It's what people think. It's what he thought. Here's what Jesus revealed to us about the Father toward those who think that. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and said unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was clean. And he straightly charged him, and forthwith sent him away, and said, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, and show thyself to the priest. That's the fulfilling of the law. They're still operating under the law of Moses, and if a leper was cleansed, he had to be verified and, and present himself before the priest. That's why Jesus is telling him to do it. Don't forget to be a doer of the law of Moses. And offer for thy cleansing these things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. But he went out and began to publish it much. Heard somebody say, Jesus knew reverse psychology. <laughs> Jesus told him, don't tell, so he went out and told. Jesus knew he was going to go out and tell. I don't believe that's true, folks. I believe this guy was so full of gratitude for the compassion of God to change his life, to redeem his life from destruction, that he just couldn't keep quiet. I sure hope God forgave him for that. But he went out and began to publish it much and blaze abroad the matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city but was without in desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. One guy publishing, 
One guy testifying of the compassion of God, of the mercy of God, of God's tender love toward him, of God's pity toward him, of God's eager yearning to do good for him in the area that he needed, which was healing. Caused it to be such a mass of people that Jesus couldn't go into the city anymore. Maybe that's what Jesus had in mind. If you go tell people, I won't be able to come to the hotel in town. I don't want to go sleep out in the tent. Don't tell anybody. I don't know. But it says Jesus couldn't even get into the cities because so many people were aware of the goodness of God. Folks, I want you to keep in mind, when people testify of the mercy of God, it brings them by the multitudes. Let's look at another one. Look with me over to Matthew chapter... uh, Well, which one do we want to look at? Matthew chapter 14. There's a lot of them here, and I, I don't want to take time too much time in, in covering this. But I want you to see this. Verse 14, Matthew 14, 14. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them and healed their sick. Was moved with compassion toward them. And what did he do? What did his compassion do? Folks, I want you to understand something. Where the Bible talks about compassion and where it talks about mercy, it always involves an act. We talk about acts of mercy, and, and that usually just has to do with, with showing sympathy to somebody or, or some touchy-feely thing or something like that. But when you see the Bible talking about the love of God in action, when you see the Bible talking about the mercy of God on display, you'll always see God moving toward man in some form or another. John 3.16, we all know that. For God so loved that He gave. God's love always moves toward man. It's not some feeling. And Jesus said the same thing. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He didn't say, if you love me, have warm, fuzzy feelings. He said, if you love me, do something. Love acts. Mercy acts. And I want you to understand that the mercy of God in action is always with power. So he was moved with compassion toward them and healed their sick. Look with me over to Matthew, uh, to, um, what's his name? Mark. Mark chapter 5. Look with me to Mark, chapter 5. I want you to see these three things. <clears throat> I, uh, I don't want to take the time to read the whole thing. This is the story of the madman from Gadara. You remember the story? Jesus comes to a certain place. He's in the region of Decapolis. Decapolis is a, a Roman word. It means ten cities. Jesus would never minister in, inside any of these ten cities because he was only sent to the Jews. These were Roman cities that were built inside the region of Israel. And Jesus wouldn't, mention, uh, wouldn't minister inside Decapolis. Now, he would walk through the region of Decapolis, where the, the place where these ten cities were built. He would walk through the region of Decapolis going from one place to another, but he would never minister inside the cities. Well, while he's in this region, <clears throat> there's a guy that's, uh, that's possessed with the devil, and he's, man, he's been stirring up trouble for everybody. He's been in the, the, the graveyards. They've tried to, to, to chain him. He breaks the chains. They've tried to keep him in stocks which are those, those wooden things, you know, where you put your hands and your feet and maybe sometimes your head in and, and, and that wouldn't work. He'd break out of those. He had supernatural power over natural circumstances. It's a counterfeit to what God gave Samson. Folks, don't think the devil doesn't have power. He does have power. That's why it's important for you to have authority over his power. So anyway, Jesus comes to this region. This guy is, I mean, he is the ultimate nutcase. He's out there in the tombs and the, in the graveyards and he's, he's wailing and moaning and groaning and all this kind of stuff. Everybody's afraid of him. He's torn off all of his clothes. People that are of the devil take off their clothes in, in public. And so Jesus comes to where this guy is and the devil speaks to Jesus. The devil that's controlling this guy speaks to Jesus and, and says a bunch of stuff and Jesus deals with him. And so many times people try to make a pattern. Here's how you deal with the devil. It's the only time Jesus ever dealt with the devil this way. <clears throat> it's the only time. Jesus didn't make this a pattern. Jesus' normal pattern in dealing with the devil is shut up, come out. I like that. Now there were exceptions. This is an exception. But normally Jesus said shut up, come out. This time, he had to find out the devil's, the, the, the leader's name. He did. He found out his name was Legion. And Jesus cast the devil out. Now, the Bible says that all of these devils, one guy was in charge. He was possessed by one. And then there were a, a, number, a number of others. This uh, group of evil spirits went into the swine 
Only in Decapolis do you find swine, pigs, which were contrary to the law of Moses, being farmed. It's not what the land of Israel was for, according to the plan of God. So these evil spirits go into this, these, uh, this herd of pigs and they drown themselves into the sea. Now, after the guy is set free, uh, let's pick up the story in about verse... Uh, where? Let's pick it up in verse 14. And they that fed the swine, the pig farmers, told it in the city, fled and told it into the city and in the country. And they, meaning the people in the city and the country, the people of that region, went out to see what it was that was done. And they came to Jesus and saw him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion. Notice the way he said it, possessed with the devil and had the legion. One was in control, others were operating. Possessed with the devil and had the legion, sitting and clothed, and in his right mind, notice people in their right mind put their clothes back on. Have I added something to the Bible? Okay, y'all interrupted me. I've got to read it again. No, I'm going to read it because I want to. And they came to Jesus and saw him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Folks, that's the most amazing part of this story to me. They come and see the guy's okay and they're afraid. And they saw, they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they, the people of the city and the country, began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. Oh, we can't have that. Somebody's been set free. Jesus, you've got to get out of here. I'm surprised they didn't ask if they couldn't put the guy back into the condition that he was. We like him better when he was in the tombs, breaking stuff and, ma and making all kinds of noise. And when he was coming to the ship, notice Jesus didn't fight against it. Jesus didn't stay where he wasn't welcome, folks. That's true in your life. That's true in his earthly ministry. You don't welcome him, he'll leave you alone. And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Let me go with you. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but said unto him, Go home to your friends. And tell them how great things the Lord has, has done for thee and has had compassion on thee. So what does Jesus identify as the motivating force for him setting this guy free from the works of the devil in his life? Compassion. His tender love, his pity, his eager yearning for this man to have something good, something better than what he had. Now let me show you the result of that. Turn with me over to uh, Matthew chapter 15. Now, you may not be aware, but this is in that same region of Decapolis. As a result of this man's testimony, he went out. Did I even finish the story? I think I may have turned away too quick. Jesus said, go home and publish. Now, I don't know what publish means. I don't know if that means, you know, start a newsletter. I'm not sure what that is. But he said, go home and uh, tell them how great things the Lord has done for thee and had compassion on thee. I didn't read verse 20. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him and all men did marvel. Let me show you the, the result of this man's testimony in Ma Matthew chapter 15. Verse uh, 29. And Jesus departed from thence and came nigh unto the sea of Galilee and went over into a mountain. I'm sorry, wait a minute. I've got the wrong verse. Where am I? No, I don't. I'm good. Okay. And Jesus departed, verse 29, And Jesus departed thence and came nigh unto the Sea of Galilee and went up unto a mountain and sat down there. And great multitudes came to him. This is in Decapolis. You get a Thompson chain reference Bible or any Bible that's got a map of the footsteps of Jesus and you'll see that when he comes to this place, this is still in that same region of Decapolis. He's come back around again and now he's walking through the same territory where he set this man free in Mark chapter 5. This is in Decapolis. And great multitudes came unto him, having those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them, insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to, to behold, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. 
Why does it say they glorified the God of Israel? Because they're in Decapolis. They're in Roman territory. The God of Israel is not their God. They don't know anything about the law of Moses. These are Romans. These are citizens of Rome. These are not Jews. When it says they glorified the God of Israel, it means it was a testimony to them that the Israelites' God was really God. Now, folks, I want you to see something. In three different examples, we've seen one example of healing with the leper, one example of deliverance with, um, uh, uh, well, two examples of healing. That's what I'm trying to say, I guess. First in, in Mark chapter 1, second in Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 14, and now we're talking about the guy in Decapolis that was set free from the power of the devil. Two cases of healing, one case of deliverance. Now this guy, just like the leper, just like the others, when they published or testified to the mercy of God, look at the multitudes that came. And please notice they glorified the God of Israel when people were healed, not while people were sick. Can I just slow down? I'm trying to go so fast I'm losing myself here. Let me just slow down. I don't care how far we get. I've got next week. <laughs> one of the greatest works of the devil, in my opinion, you judge it for yourself, but one of the greatest works of the devil is that the devil has mitigated the mercy of God among the body of Christ. We talk about the power of God. We talk about the judgment of God. We talk about works. We talk about all kinds of different things. But you hardly ever hear the church talking about the mercy of God. Or if they do talk about the mercy of God, they talk about it in one and only one area, and that's forgiveness of sins. How then can somebody stand up and preach in this modern age and say, that God wants people sick for His glory when the Bible says that people glorified God when people got healed. How can anybody say, I'm going to take a couple of things for granted. Well, better not. John chapter 14, Jesus said, It is expedient, speaking to His disciples, and not only to them, but the same things apply to us. He said, it is expedient. That means profitable, better for you. If I go away, for if I go not away, then the Spirit cannot come. Now, why did he say that? Why did he want the Spirit of God to come to us? He's talking about redemption. He's talking about God living on the inside of us by the Holy Ghost. Why is that better for us? Because he said the Spirit of God within us enables those that believe in Him to do the works that He did and even greater works than those. He's literally saying... The works that I do shall you do also, but you can't do them without the Spirit. So it's better for you for me to go away so the Spirit of God will come. Now, how are you going to do that? He goes on in John chapter 14, about verse 14, and he said, uh, Whatsoever you shall call for or require in my name. King James says ask, but it means call for or require in my name. That's what I'll do. To what end? To perform the same works and even greater works. Now, folks, you have a lot of people talk about, well, we do the greater works now because we get people saved. Jesus never could get anybody saved because he hadn't been to the cross. We do the greater works now. Okay, I'm fine with that. But what about when he said you'll do the same works and greater works? We just read in Psalm 145, verse 9, it says his tender mercies are over all of his works. That means the works that he did were because of the mercies of God. So who is, who is authorized in the body of Christ today to stand up and say the mercy of God has been modified? In Jesus' day, the mercy of God meant healing. He was moved with compassion. And he healed the leper. He was moved with compassion and healed the multitudes. In Jesus' day, the compassion or the mercy of God motivated him to heal the sick. In Jesus' day, the mercy of God motivated him to deliver those that were oppressed of the devil. And those healings and those deliverances, when testified to according to the mercy of God brought multitudes of people that wanted the same results for themselves and caused the God of Israel, what we know of as the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, who 2 Corinthians 1.3 calls the Father of mercies to be glorified. The Bible says we have a better covenant established upon better promises. How is it then that in a better covenant with better promises someone could say that the mercy of God is only extended to forgiveness of sins. For under a worse covenant, the mercy of God not only provided the work toward forgiveness of sins, Jesus coming to the earth and going to the cross, but also healing, deliverance, 
And we didn't even look at where Jesus fed the 5,000 because He was moved with compassion on them. Provisions in there too. Every miracle that Jesus produced, every supernatural thing that Jesus did was because of the mercy of God, if Psalm 145 verse 9 is true. Everyone is according to the mercy of God. Why don't we testify to the mercy of God to redeem people's lives from destruction? Why is it just the mercy of God for sin? Folks, I can't tell you how many Sundays, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, I hear somebody, usually a missionary, somebody come tell some hard luck story, I'm serving God and boy, it's tough out there. And it was almost like, who can top that story? Oh, you think that's tough, brother. You ought to hear what happened to me. Testimony services on Wednesday night, it was the same thing. This week has been so bad. So Brother Hagin used to tell the story about how uh, one lady in his church stood up and said, the devil's been after me all the week. Bless his holy name. <laughs> I don't, he didn't think, and I don't think either, that she knew what she was saying, but that's really kind of how testimony services go in so much of the church world. It's all this hard luck story, but I'm hanging in there. It's all this, I was right at the edge, but God somehow snatched me out. Well, where's the testimony about God redeemed my life from destruction? God healed me from sickness. God provided for me, made a way where there was no way. God delivered me. Where are those testimonies? If we had those testimonies, it would produce the same results as it did in the Bible, and it would bring multitudes of people to hear. Now turn with me over to Matthew chapter 9. Let me show you one other example. I'm running out of time here, so I need to start wrapping this up. Matthew chapter 9. Let's start reading in verse 27. It says, and Jesus, When Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? And they said, Yea, Lord. Now, in, in Matthew chapter 20, Matthew gives us an account of both of these, so there have to be two separate occasions, two separate groups of two blind men. But in Matthew chapter 20, it tells us about two blind men that heard that Jesus was coming down the road, and they cried out for mercy, Lord, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and then asked them, What do you want me to do? We've looked at that before. What do you want me to do for you? Meaning, mercy or compassion cannot be limited to just one thing. Because when they asked for mercy, Jesus said, in what area? What do you want me to do? They said to him in Matthew chapter 20, Lord, that we may receive our sight. And so he ministered to him. He reached out and he touched them. And he ministered to them and their eyes opened. So we know that mercy for healing, here's another example, mercy or compassion of the Lord for healing. In this case, however, it doesn't tell us that they specified Jesus seemed to understand. Jesus probably understood with the other guys in Matthew 22. He just wanted him to say. I don't know. But in this case, Jesus questions about, about something. Now here's an important thing for you to recognize about mercy. Because if we just talk about mercy, the mercy of God is good, the mercy of God endures forever, God will do good things for you, then what you wind up with is so much of what the church is now where they start crying and begging and pleading for God to do something and nothing happens. Why? Because God doesn't respond to begging. The fact that the mercy of the Lord endures forever, the fact that the Lord is gracious, disposed to show favors, the fact that His tender mercies are over all of His works does not negate faith. Faith is still the means whereby you receive anything and everything from God. See, it seems to me that people get either on one side of the street or the other side where this is, the issue is concerned. They either get in, they get in what they think is faith and it becomes mechanical to them and it becomes this, this ritual, confess, 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 confess the word, confess the word, confess the word. And that's the only picture that some people outside of our church and people that, that have good sense. We're not the only ones out there, but... Well, we're not the only ones out there. But there are so many people that have not understood. There are so many people that have just heard you can have what you say, and so, man, this, this thing becomes a ritual to them. Well, in many cases, there's no more faith behind that than there is when somebody's begging. They're just pulling a lever trying to make something work. It's not a product of something that's in their heart. They're just trying to work something. 
They're doing nothing more than, than adding us to a row of numbers. It's just a mechanical operation. Well, that's not what reaches God. The Bible says faith is of the heart. It says with the heart man believes and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That word salvation means healing. It means deliverance. It means everything. Look it up. It's the word sozo in the Greek. It means everything that Jesus purchased for us. So you get some people that are mechanical about the faith and you get the other people that are just crying out for God's help. Well, what's the reality? Jesus shows you right here. The man asked for mercy and so what does Jesus have to identify before the mercy of God can be shown? Faith. Real faith, heart faith. So Jesus asked him, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Interesting that his attitude is completely opposite from Mark chapter 1 where the leper was concerned. The leper believed he could, just didn't know if he would. This guy doesn't seem to have any problem with God would, but Jesus has to identify, do you believe I can? That tells us there's two sides to faith. You've got to believe God can and believe God will. That's why faith is necessary. Well, how can I believe that He will, Pastor Mike? Okay, I believe with God all things are possible, but how can I believe that God will? That's where faith comes in. The Bible says Jesus revealed to us the will of God that never changes. The one guy, only one guy that ever asked Jesus, will you, Jesus was moved with compassion and instantly touched him and said, yeah, I will. Yeah, but how does that help me? Because God's no respecter of persons. It's interesting to me that James, in talking about keeping the law, he's talking about nobody has ever kept the law perfectly. One of the things that he identifies regarding a necessary ingredient for keeping the law is being, not being a respecter of persons. He said if you're a respecter of persons, if you haven't lied or haven't cheated or haven't steal, stolen, but if you are a respecter of persons, you're still guilty of breaking the law. That means if God is a respecter of persons, if he'll treat somebody else better than he'll treat you, that means he's guilty of breaking the law he set out. If he's a lawbreaker, he can't be righteous. Now what that means is it's impossible for God to be better to somebody else than he'll be to you. Impossible. Yeah, but, but God can do anything. He can do anything except break his own law. He can do anything except break his own word. Why? Because the Bible says that God has exalted his word above his name. That means God doesn't operate according to what He can do. It means He operates according to what He said He will do. And He said that He would never be a respecter of persons. One of the greatest reasons for you to believe for your healing or believe for deliverance or believe for provision is because God did it for somebody else. If He ever did it for somebody else, He's bound to do it for anybody else that reaches out in faith just like they did. I'm glad you're excited about that. So Jesus said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And he said unto him, yea, Lord. Notice he didn't say, yeah, I've been confessing this for weeks. Notice he didn't say, you know, I, I, I didn't think so, but when I got that tape series from that brother that was in town last week, that did it for me. He just simply said, yeah. Then he touched his eyes saying, according to your faith, be it unto you. Now notice what the guy asked for. The guy asked for the mercy of God. Jesus said, according to your faith, the mercy of God, specifically the mercy of healing here, but it works the same in every area. He said, according to your faith, be it unto you. Well, I just wish I could get the mercy of God shown toward me. According to your faith, be it unto you. Do you see where the devil has messed us up? The devil has got us thinking about everything else except the mercy of God. What if you were a parent... What would you want your kids to believe the most about you? Your ability or your goodness? What you can do, the amount of money that you can have, whatever you're able to buy, or your mercy to be good to your children? Pretty easy answer, huh? I don't even want my kids to know what I've got. I don't want them to know how much money I've got. My kids find that out, man. They know I'm too good. <laughs> give, it, give it up, Dad. God doesn't have that problem. He wants you to know. Because He wants you to come to Him in faith, expecting to receive. So Jesus said, according to your faith, be it unto you. 
And their eyes were opened, and Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man know it. But these guys just can't keep their mouth shut. He asked for mercy. What did he get? He got mercy for healing. He got healing mercy. But when they were departed, they spread abroad his fame in all that country. And then it tells us about how that um, uh, Jesus cast out the devil out of one person. Notice, skip down with me to verse 35. Let me show you something else about the mercy of God. And Jesus went about the cities and villages, all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But, that's good. Jesus is doing the work. Multitudes are growing because people are magnifying and testifying of his mercy. Mercy to heal, mercy to deliver, mercy to provide. The Bible says after Jesus fed the 5,000, there were another 4,000 that came and they wanted in on it too. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Have you ever noticed how much the church talks about Jesus healing and Jesus delivering and Jesus uh, doing all the miracles and things that he did because he was trying to prove that he was son of God? That's a very common theme. The problem is you can't find Jesus ever saying that. But you can find over and over and over again where the Bible says Jesus did these things because he was moved with compassion. Jesus even denied that he was the one doing it. He said, I'm not doing the works. The Father in me is doing the works. What does that mean? It means the Father's mercy is motivating me to show you how good he is. Yet what does the church magnify? The church magnifies Jesus as the Son of God. Why? Because if, he can, if the devil can keep you from looking at the mercy of God that's available to you today, he can keep you from receiving some of the things Jesus died on the cross for. Oh, but, 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 but Jesus was the Son of God. We can't do the same works he did. He said we would. No, he didn't, Pastor Mike. He just told that to the disciples. No, he didn't. He said, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. He didn't say you twelve. He said, he that believeth in me. Well, then why don't we see the works being done? Because you can't find many people that believe in him. They bought into the idea that the mercy of God and the power of God is just to forgiveness of sins. Well, you can't find anything that the Bible ever says that that was the case. Ever. Who gave the modern day church the authority to say that the mercy of God has been modified? Used to mean healing. Used to mean deliverance. Used to mean provision. But now it just means forgiveness of sins. Who has that right? One of the verses of Scripture you're going to find phrases in the Bible over and over and over again is the mercy of the Lord endures forever seems to me if the mercy of God, which meant healing, deliverance, and provision in Jesus' day, but now just means forgiveness of sins, seems to me those Old Testament scriptures would have said the mercy of the Lord endures for a little while. And then it changes. Who's been authorized by God to say that the mercy of the Lord has been modified? Or in some cases, those that preach the day of miracles is past. They're literally saying the mercy of God has been nullified, except in the area of forgiveness of sins. Who gave anybody that right? Jesus said that when the Holy Ghost has come, remember that's the, the source of the power to do the works that he did? Jesus said when the Spirit of God has come, he will glorify or testify of me. Who gave the modern day church the authority to say that people now glorify God in sickness? When the Holy Ghost is the miracle working agent to show and reveal the mercy of God to bring healing, deliverance, and provision in Jesus' day that caused people to glorify the God of Israel. Folks, I've got to tell you something. The Holy Ghost has never told anybody that the day of miracles is past. And even if the day of miracles is past, the God of miracles hasn't. The Holy Ghost has never told anybody that healing has been done away with. The Holy Ghost has never told anybody they couldn't be set free. The Holy Ghost has never told anybody. The Spirit of God has never told anybody that they're supposed to glorify God in either sickness, poverty, bondage of any type, or any work of the devil in any way whatsoever. Now, we should glorify God in the midst of those things that come against us, but not because God brought them. Because glorifying God is the way out. It's an example, it's an expression of our faith that brings us out. 
Where did the modern day church come up with the idea that people glorify God by being sick? I see in Jesus' ministry that everybody starts glorifying God when they get healed. Okay, I'm sorry. Verse 36 again, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. I wonder if that's as true today as it was in Jesus' day. Well, folks, if you look at the population numbers, there's no comparison. If the harvest was great in Jesus' day, just by the sheer number of people today, it's greater by many, many fold. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. What's he saying? He's saying the answer for people being broken down, giving up, and without a, a purpose in life is to have people that will shepherd them, have people that will give them purpose, have people that will reveal to them the works of God just like Jesus is doing. So what does he do? He calls, verse 10, verse, chapter 10, verse 1, and when he called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Verse 8 specifically says, Jesus told them, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely you've received, freely give. What I want you to see is, Jesus' compassion not only caused him to set individuals free, Jesus' compassion not only caused him to heal individuals, Jesus' compassion not only caused him to provide for individuals, but when he sees there's too many for him to get to, because his mercy is being testified to. Then he says, we need more people to go do the same things I'm doing. Here's power to cast out devils and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Heal the sick, cleanse the dead, uh, cleanse the dead, raise the lepers. <laughs> heal the sick, cast out devils, raise the dead and cleanse the lepers. Go do what I did. Jesus' mercy compelled him to send more people to do the works that he was doing. Has the mercy of God changed today? Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father that He might be a merciful, a merciful, merciful, merciful and faithful high priest. A merciful high priest. Merciful high priest, not a judgmental high priest. Not trying to make sure you get what you deserve. But merciful. With tender love, pity for whatever your situation is. That doesn't mean feeling sorry for, sympathy, oh, poor you. No, it means to take action and do something about it. Jesus is full of eager yearning for you to be free, for you to walk in the fullness of what God has for you. He's a merciful high priest. He's a merciful high priest. I'm going to have to show you Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 to close. Because just as we finish reading about Jesus being a merciful high priest in chapter 2, verse 17, chapter 3 tells us how His mercy is shown. It's the same thing Jesus told the blind men. Chapter 3, verse 1, Wherefore, holy brethren, because we have a merciful high priest, in other words, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest. Apostle means sent one. The apostle and high priest of what? What is Jesus the high priest of? Well, he's the high priest of the church. Notice specifically it says what he administers to God on your behalf. He's the high priest of our profession. The word profession is the same word confession. What's he saying? He's saying he's the high priest of your faith. He's the high priest of your faith. Jesus Christ. The righteous is the high priest. He administers to God on your behalf according to your faith. According to your faith. Well, what does that mean? The writer of the book of Hebrews goes on in chapter 4 and verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? That we may obtain mercy. Come boldly. Come in faith. Come boldly. Why? Because His mercy endures forever. That's why. Come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What does grace mean? Grace means those favors that God is disposed to show. 
It's available to every one of us, folks. It's available by, by faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you made it so simple. Forgive us for complicating things. You made it so simple. Just simply believe. Say with our mouth what we believe in our heart. The same way that we come into the family of God, believing that Jesus was raised from the dead just because the Bible tells us so. Confessing with our mouth that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. It brings us into the fullness of redemption. And Father, every aspect of redemption, healing, provision, deliverance, every aspect of provision, every aspect of redemption belongs to us and we partake of in exactly the same way because of Your mercy. Thank You, Father, that Jesus is our merciful High Priest. We come boldly before Your throne today, Father. We don't approach the God of judgment. We approach the Father of mercies. Thank You for Your healing mercy, Father. We partake of that healing mercy by declaring Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with His stripes we're healed. We come before You, Father, to partake of Your provision. We partake of that provision through our faith because Your Word says that the chastisement of our peace, well-being in every area was upon Jesus. We partake of Your deliverance, Father, from those things that hold us bound because Your Word says that this purpose... This was the purpose that the Son of God was manifested, to destroy the works of the devil. We confess these things, Father. We believe these things. And we simply reach out for your healing, your providing, and your delivering mercy. In Jesus' precious name. Thank you, Father. Thank you for setting us free. Thank you for setting us free. Thank you. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed in every area. In every area. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. Let's all stand together. I wish I could do the work of the Holy Ghost. I wish I could be the convincer and just pray a prayer and all of a sudden every one of us would be convinced of the mercy of God toward us. That's not how it works. It's line upon line, precept upon precept. The Holy Ghost opens your eyes step by step by step. And He only opens our eyes if we're willing to pursue it. It's not something that we can just go to a class or go to a church service and all of a sudden that's it. We got it. We know it. But it starts as a little spark. Just a tiny spark on the inside. Just that still small voice where the Holy Ghost starts drawing you in. God wants to be better to you than you want to be for yourself. God wants to be better to you than you want Him to be. And as you pursue that, as you walk in it, as you start putting the Word of God on the inside of you, then your eyes begin opening more and more and more. And then we see, oh goodness, look at how good the Lord is. Look at how good the Lord is. We serve a good God, folks. The Christian walk in the way that God intended it is not some drudge, trudging, difficult, oh woe is me thing. It's an adventure. It's an overcoming lifestyle. It's a life of healing and health. It's a life of plenty. It's a life of freedom. That's God's plan for you and me. That's why He sent His own, only Son to live that life. Hallelujah. Well, let's pray one more time before we go. Make sure there's not something the Lord wants us to do. Father, in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, quicken our hearts. Reveal to us, Lord, just how much you care for us. Cause us, Father, to be more aware of your love and kindness than any other characteristic, any other attribute of yours. 
Because that's where we know your heart. That's where we know you. Forgive us for focusing on your power instead of focusing on your mercy. Help us not, Father, to be like the Pharisees that were concerned about works but omitted the more important things like faith and mercy. But let that be the cornerstone of our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being here with us today. Don't forget, uh, the newcomer's uh, coffee is uh, right after the service. It'll be going on in the fellowship hall. Prayer school is at 5 o'clock in the fellowship hall, and then healing school is back here at 6 in the auditorium. God bless you. Have a great day.